Welcome to the Don't Break a Leg podcast. I'm Danielle Parzanigan, a dancer and physical therapist specializing in the treatment of performing artists in Houston, Texas. And I'm Jake Manley, an athletic trainer and physical therapist at Pro PT in Winchester, Virginia. I lift weights, and the only time I dance is if I've had a couple beers at a wedding. Though we come from such different backgrounds, we're both incredibly passionate about the performing arts. We hope to educate you on a variety of topics about the health and wellness of performing artists to optimize your performance, longevity, and success. Welcome to the show. I just want to give you a real quick word from our sponsors. Pro, the company that I work for, which is a pretty awesome company if I may say so myself, is now offering virtual health and wellness coaching to help facilitate you staying active and achieving your goals. You guys can speak one-on-one with me, a licensed physical therapist, athletic trainer, and strength coach um, to discuss training, injury, rehab, and learn more about how you can stay accountable, take back control, and optimize your health and fitness even during this, this weird time. Our approach is evidence-based, comprehensive, and focuses entirely on you. One-time consultations as well as long-term programs are available. Regardless of what your specific needs are, we've got you covered. For more information, go ahead and contact me directly. My info will be in the description. Hey guys, and welcome to episode three of the Don't Break a Leg podcast. Today we're joined by Megan Wise, who is a physical therapist in New York City who works primarily with the Broadway community. She's worked with multiple Broadway and off-Broadway productions, dance companies, and individual students, performers, and studios in her five-year career. She's currently the primary physical therapist for Mean Girls on Broadway. Megan runs her own PT practice and co-owns MoveWise Health Studio, a health and wellness company which provides comprehensive health coaching to dancers, martial artists, gymnasts, and athletes of all kinds. As a former dancer, her mission is to change the way dance is taught so that performers can have a long, successful, and fulfilling career. Megan, welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you on because you're a dope person and we like talking with dope people. Thank you. It's so great to be on the call. Um, now, Megan, for people that maybe may not know much about you, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, so as, as you said before, I do live in New York, um, but I'm originally from Florida. So that's where I grew up. And um, I grew up as a dancer and did classical ballet um, from the age of four up through college um, and even a little bit beyond college. And um, along the way, I realized that I, I wanted to do something that was in that realm of, of movement and dance. And so I applied for physical therapy programs, um, got into NYU, and um, decided New York was the place that I needed to be in in order to work with performers. So um, it was it was kind of a, an interesting ride there, but I was able to just kind of push myself up into into New York and I just stayed here. And, um, and now that I'm here, I've been able to be a part of a lot of different things, um, like you said, with all of the different shows and the different people that I've worked with and had a, a lot of different experiences. I've been able to take classes here um, in terms of dance. 
Um, I've been able to kind of venture out and do other fun things, you know, and like travel a little bit. So um, it's it's nice to be a part of this community and still be able to get out and go back to Florida sometimes. But um, I mean, that's basically it about me, that I've been a dancer forever and always like to move. And um, I, I live here with my, my partner and our dog, and we try to have a good time. <laughs> Now, it's interesting that you went from Florida to New York because I feel like most people, like most older New Yorkers tend to go from New York to Florida. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of like going going against the, the stream of traffic, I guess. Yeah. Where in Florida are you from? I'm from Ocala. It's in north central Florida. It's a small town. It's in the middle of the forest, so we do not have beaches. Um, so if you want to go to a beach, you got to drive either an hour and a half west or an hour and a half east so that's that's about all you get there um so it's also horse country so that's something too you might hear the word ocala pop up if you're watching like the kentucky derby or something like that um so it's not exactly known for its dance but um there is a really good community theater there and there are several good studios there including the one that i grew up in um so that's it's in a little funny area where it's actually a little bit closer to georgia than it is to miami so it has a feel of being more in the south versus that like southern florida feeling that that most people feel like they have when they go to florida so random question what is your favorite floridian food Did you like that I feel alliteration? Like it always comes back to a food question. I I just like I I don't know. I'm hungry. I probably should have eaten something before this. I don't know if we have like our own special like Floridian food other than like gator tail. Um, like that's a thing. <laughs> and and it, I mean it tastes it tastes like chicken. I know that sounds so corny, but it does. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite thing in the world though. I mean it's it it's it's not bad, but I, I'm trying to think of something that's like a Florida food. And I think that might be the only thing I feel like someone's going to find me and be like, no, we have these things too. And I'm going to go like, okay, that's nice. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that's all I know is gator tail is the only like Florida food I can think of. Um, and, and yeah, it tastes kind of like a cross between frog legs. If you've had those and mm-hmm. chicken and usually it's fried. So yeah, those are definitely frog legs are something that I eat on a regular basis. So I mean, totally. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how did, how did you get into, into dance? Was it something that you just like naturally gravitated toward? Um, Like what, what was your, what was your story? So uh, my mom danced. She um, started taking dance when she was in her twenties. She grew up in a really, really small town um, that didn't have a dance studio and she always wanted to dance. So I would say she actually naturally gravitated towards it more than I did. Um, And so when she finally was able to go somewhere, she just kept dancing. Um, In fact, she still does some musical theater stuff and like choreographs and does all of that and directs. So she's still in that world too. Um, but she always danced. And so I grew up seeing her and as like the earliest I could get into classical training, I was in class and it was just something that I, I always wanted to do. I always loved, I never wanted to get out of. So it, it was just something that I, I saw and went, yeah, that's, I want to do that too. That looks amazing. So. That's often the thought that I have because 
Um, I look at all that stuff and I'm just like, wow, I wish, I wish I could do that. And then I, I really don't think that I could. <laughs> uh, I think it would be hilarious. I don't know if you've seen me in a tutu. I know Danielle has. I have. Um, yeah. I, I don't have, I don't have any shame. Um, so what was your favorite style of dance like growing up? Was it, were you more classical ballet or? Yeah. Yeah. I was ballet trained Our the dance teacher in my hometown. When she started the studio, she was a former professional ballerina. And when she got to Ocala, there was really not a lot of dance there. So she decided to bring classical ballet to people and do it in a way where it wasn't as injurious as what she had to deal with as a child. She had had multiple injuries herself. So she just wanted to give kids kind of that the discipline and the love of dance with real classical technical work. Um, in fact, she even had a ballet company that we performed with too that, um, that did extremely well in terms of all of the ballets we did. But um, it was it was mostly ballet. There was jazz in there too because she loved musical theater. So I did a lot of like Fosse style jazz growing up, um, which is how I ended up getting into the musical theater world as well. But um, it was mostly ballet. That was that was my first and like true love was ballet. And did you sustain any injuries growing up? I mean, I think yeah. we all go through a couple. But can you yeah. talk about some of those? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I always had hip issues. Um, I'm, I never really had the hips, the turnout for it. So I think it was just that constant cranking into that turnout. It, you know, it led to some wear and tear in the hips that didn't bother me terribly while I was dancing. Um, but the, the big defining injury that I had was when I was 16. I injured my foot and it, it threw me, it threw me out really, really badly. Um, I had to continue the season because it happened in the middle of one of our full-length ballets, and I had to finish it even though I was in a lot of pain and had a lot of issues. I didn't really rehab it because where I was from, most of the medical professionals didn't consider dancers. like They, they just thought we were kind of making stuff up if we complained. Um, and so I just tried to rehab it on my own when I went back in for the remainder of the season. It did not get better. And it actually, I stopped dancing for six months because of it. I just, I, I was in pain constantly. So I had really, really major foot and ankle problems that, um, that were eventually addressed, but never actually um, truly diagnosed either because of the way that things were dealt with in the medical community in my hometown. Now, did, did that at all kind of inspire you like along your journey to get into healthcare? Oh like, yeah. Those experiences being injured dancing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was huge for me. I, I actually went through about four medical doctors um, over a couple of years, and the third one was the first one that actually gave me any imaging um, to see what was going on. And at that point, I had been injured for a year and a half, had been limping, uh, had pain constantly. I mean, it was like I had all these terrible things. It's like this can't be tendonitis. Like tendonitis doesn't take a year and a half. Like, and I'm, I haven't been doing anything. Um, so that was the first doctor to take me seriously, and um, was able to get to a physical therapist then. So when I finally was able to get into PT, it was like this. It, it was like a light bulb went off of like, oh, okay, so you're going to use movement and the science behind movement and help me heal 
that makes sense. Like we're working as a team. It's there's respect here. You believe me, which is a huge factor. Um, and it, from that point on, it pretty much is in the back of my mind of like, this is something I could do. This makes sense to me. And I could keep doing this. And imagine if there was someone here that knew dance so that I didn't have to have this injury or that all of my friends that got injured wouldn't be injured all the time. That would be really, really awesome. So that, that did always stick with me, um, that this was something that I could do and that I could maybe break into it in some way. Did you always know that you were going to go to PT school or did you try to pursue dance and then shift directions? Um, I, I kind of kept PT as like a back burner thing, um, because of the foot injury. I never, the whole thing of potentially going into like the ballet world was totally scrapped. I, I pretty much couldn't go on point ever again. Um, so that was gone. Um, but I really liked science and chemistry. So there were some things that I thought maybe I would go down a different path there. Um, and so I was definitely more science based. Both of my parents are engineers. So that made a lot of sense too. Um, but I, I, that's kind of where I thought I was going to go. And then my freshman year in college, uh, the school that I went to originally, it required that all of us actually interview someone in the field that we wanted to work in after school. And um, I interviewed someone in the forensics department, which is something that I thought I might want to do. And then I interviewed a PT. And it was like, oh, yeah, now I want to do PT. That's it. That's exactly it. Just like scrap everything else. Like I threw out everything else. And I was like, this is what I'm doing. So I changed majors, went to health science, even changed schools so that I was in a better program, um, which helped out tremendously. And then from that point on, it was like, this is definitely what I'm doing. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I'll work with anybody. But if I could work with dancers, that'd be really, really great. So um, it it was definitely something that took a little while to get there. But once I did, I held on to it and did not let go. How did you end up getting involved with the Broadway community? Uh, so that um, it's it's funny because I, I asked to be a part of it. Um, and that's, that's really, and I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> I asked and they said yes. Um, when I was in PT school, during my uh, affiliation, one of my affiliations was with uh, the Joffrey Ballet, so I got to work with them. And while I was there in Chicago, I was like, I know I haven't graduated yet, but um, I want to work in the dance medicine field. I know I have zero experience yet, but screw it. I'm just going to send out my resumes. And I sent out cold resumes to every business that did dance medicine in New York City, even if they weren't looking for anybody. And um, two of them held on to it. One of them contacted me pretty much right after graduation. It wasn't the best fit. It just, they wanted me to do some things. And I was like, I don't want to do tours and stuff. So that's not really what I want to do. And the other one, actually the week before the national exam, um, contacted me and for, for an interview. And that was Physio Arts, which was open for 20 years and had this huge background in Broadway. Um, and I applied for it. She held on to it for months. And, and when I interviewed, she was like, well, you know, you are new to this. So maybe we'll give it a little while before you, you break into it. Um, and then a few months after that, she said, hey, so I think you've probably been working long enough. Do you want to just start working backstage? 
So um, I basically went from just being a student and asking permission to then being thrown backstage not even a year later after I sent my resume. Um, with, with a little bit of training, it wasn't just a total throw, but um, it was just I asked and, and they kept saying yes. So I kept showing up. I've been backstage, but only for my performances on my own, but it's such a high stress environment and people have crazy personalities backstage. And I'm sure that's a hard environment to work in. So can you talk through some of that? Um, I mean, the, the way that a lot of the Broadway shows work, it feels very different than like the professional ballet world. Um, there's definitely different tones between that ballet being backstage with them versus Broadway. Um, and on top of that, the, the person that I worked for uh, with Physio Arts is we are not backstage with them the entire duration of the show. Um, we're there before shows or between shows or if there's like emergencies as well. But there's usually not enough actual space to be backstage during a real show. And on top of that, her philosophy, and I agree with this as well, is that if someone needs to break character and leave the stage in order to get PT care, they probably shouldn't be performing anyways. So what kind of skill am I going to be using just pulling people out of the show or they avoid using me and I'm just sitting there the whole three hour show not getting any work other than like, can you massage this? Which I, I don't do massages, so no. Um, so the, <laughs> the training for that was really just um, kind of what you were saying about dealing with the personalities more than anything and then getting a feel for like, okay, so this is what you get done in 20 minutes because um, that's what sessions are backstage. They're 20-minute sessions. People sign up ahead of time. Um, so it, it was a lot of like, here's some of the typical hands-on work that people usually expect from us. Um, here's kind of a, a quick way to screen for certain things. Um, you can always ask about these kind of things in the show. These are some of the important things that happen in this particular show. They had, I mean, there were outlines of like, this is the big number. These are the things that you should look out for. These are common injuries. So it was more training about like how to get in the mindset of it more so than anything else. Um, and a lot of it was still trial by fire. Uh, they, Jenny trained me really, really well ahead of time for like, okay, I, I do this and I can do that. And this is what I can leave them with. And still, um, you know, things would happen. And I'd be like, okay, so I guess I don't know what I'm doing, but I have to do something now. Um, and actually my, my first time backstage ended up being an emergency treatment of someone who um, injured himself in the matinee, did not think he was gonna be able to make it for the the evening performance, but wasn't sure if he needed to like go to urgent care or not. Like it didn't seem that bad, it, it seemed bad enough. So he asked for like an extra slot. So I got there early, it was my first time backstage by myself. And it was like a major groin strain he literally couldn't lift his leg above like 45 degrees. And this was a show where he had to like kick his face. And, um, and it was, it was interesting cause I had to like calm him down, figure out what was necessary. And then as my like first time as a backstage PT, pull someone from a show, um, which that's not something you will ever be prepared for because sometimes, sometimes they can be divas very rarely. 
it's truly very rare. Um, and so that, that fear factor of, of being able to kind of triage is, is something that you learn kind of on the job more than someone telling you and training you. I've had some like limited experience working backstage, obviously nothing like that high of a level. My experience is predominantly with, with collegiate dancers. Um, but more so my role is more like emergency care, like ATC type stuff. Um, so the university I work with, they have a staff, um, athletic trainer who works specifically with the dance program. And so she'll go back and I'll, I'll either cover with her, or like, you know, do some coverage for her over a weekend. Um, but they'll set up backstage with like Hydrock and ultrasound e-stim units, table, towels, you know, various like massage stuff, Graston, what have you. Um, and we set up like back in one of the warm up rooms. And then we're there purely kind of not, we're not as organized as you. So we didn't, we never really have like sign up slots. It's kind of just like a first come, first serve, like 18 room style, like, you know, whoever needs it, uh, we help out with. And then we usually, if we can, we're able to watch from one of the wings um, and we're there. We've got like protocols and EAPs for, you know, if somebody goes down, there's a fire curtain that we pull, we call 911, activate EMS, whatever, based on that. Because there's been, they've had some shows where there's been like some really funky props where like people will jump like over something or hang from stuff or do like a flip and like, we're just watching it from the from the wings and we're like please don't anything bad happen don't anything and you know just like ready to like sprint out there if if we have to do something um but i've never i've only like seen that context more like you know some light you know triage type stuff modalities is needed but more so there from like an emergency response standpoint um versus like actually working as like a true like pt and offering services and stuff and consultations evals what have you that's really interesting. I didn't, I, I guess if it's like, I just different world, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And not all of it is that triage too. I mean, I would say <laughs> the majority of the people that I see backstage, um, a lot of them get into like kind of a maintenance thing too, where they go, okay, well, I know my, my track is gonna, it, it irritates my shoulder and I do the things I need to throughout the week. But by the time I hit Saturday, like it's tired. So I need a little bit more work on it. I need to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do to get through the five show weekend. And then I have my rest day and I'll be fine. So there, there is a little bit of that. There is that like, Hey, I took class and you know, before the show and I think I pulled something, can you work on it? You know, so it's not all crazy, crazy stuff. And some of it is, you know, like my wig is really heavy and I feel like it gives me a headache all the time. Um, are there things that I can do? Are there strategies? I mean, I've, done just workout programs with people backstage because they go in and say, I, th I think I'm just weak here. And once we work through it, it's like, yeah, you are like, let's give you five or six exercises that you can do just to build up strength. So it, it kind of touches every aspect of what a PT is supposed to be, which is kind of nice. Mm -hmm. You just have to do it in this little teeny tiny environment <laughs> with like nothing except your table and your hands basically. Um, and maybe a TheraBand or, or a strap if you have it in your box and that's about it. Did it take you a while to get comfortable with the choreography of the show? Obviously as a dancer, you know what the demands of the show are going to be, but did you have to learn what each dancer has to do or was it just repetitions and you know, what they were coming in with? Um, uh, 
it was helpful if I knew the show. So if I'd seen the show before, it was really helpful because then I kind of could pick up what in general goes on. Um, and if, if someone came in and it was specific choreography, it, honestly, the big thing that I tell people is just ask them what it is that they're having an issue with. Um, and they'll show you the piece of choreography, no problem. Um, and sometimes it ends up being like you end up cleaning up some of their technique doing that that choreo, which is helpful too. Um, but it's a lot of it is not so much kind of memorizing the choreo. In fact, like I've been with Mean Girls since they opened, since rehearsals actually, and um, which they just had their two-year anniversary this week of of opening on Broadway. And um, like there's there's still choreo. I can't do all the choreography, and I feel like I should know literally all of it because I've done bits and pieces of it with them so many times. But at a certain point, it's just like, okay, well, in that part of, of stop, when you're doing your 10 pullbacks, let's go over that. Okay, in that part of roar, when you're doing this, like, we'll go over that. When you're doing the punching in this part or when you're jumping off the couch, like, you you pick it up just because you end up, I, at least I do, I end up memorizing the people and what they have to do and the common complaints they have. Um, and then if there is a swing in or when that person is replaced, it's helpful because then I have that input of, okay, well, this is what the last person had complaints of, and they did the show for this many months. I'm going to ask you right off the bat, so do you have issues with this? And then we can get ahead of it potentially. Um, or this is something that that person complained about because their track was exactly the same. Let's work on that. Um, it's less about the specific choreography and more about the way the whole show flows, to be honest. No, so I, I guess more for are you are you with the Broadway company like the every day throughout the week or are you there only for specific times how does your schedule work within that typically for most Broadway shows um, you're there maybe twice a week for uh, maybe an hour before the show or two hours between the shows um, but with Mean Girls, they wanted someone there pretty much all the time. So I have been with them every day except Sunday, so Tuesday through Saturday for two years. Um, so I know them very well. <laughs> so and that's unusual. It really is. And they're they're very, very, very lucky to have a production team that wants to pay for that kind of physical therapy to make sure they're okay all the time. Um, is not everybody gets that, but I mean, there are other shows that, yeah, there, there may be two to three hours a week and it's spread out. Um, but for mean girls, it is, it's one hour every evening just before their show. And then the two hours between shows on Saturdays, when they have the Wednesday double show, then it's two hours in between the Wednesday as well. Now, do you, are these people that you are, um, actively treating and, and have on your caseload like outside of those hour slots or is this just like you kind of come in and, and work with them exclusively in the context of, of the show? Uh, that's actually a very good question because sometimes the performers get confused about this too. Um, so the backstage work is meant to be specific to the show and mm -hmm. something that is not considered like a full-blown injury. So if it's a worker's compensation injury, they have to be treated outside of the backstage area, mostly because 
I'm not reporting to workers' compensation what I'm doing when I'm backstage. That's a contract job. It's like you're, it's like a private pay thing where I'm going through the production company, not through the insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for some of them, yes, if they have a workers' compensation case, then they would be seen in the clinic earlier in the day, and they might also be potentially seen backstage, maybe for something else or to just supplement uh, what they're doing throughout the week. Like there were some people that they would see me earlier on in the week and we would make sure things were working. And then on that Saturday when they were going through the roughest part of their weekend, it was like, okay, so is it working? Is it not working? Do we need to tweak something? So then maybe our 20 minutes was just going over their warm up or how to you know, make them more energy efficient throughout the weekend before we could get them back in the clinic on Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, because that's, that's what I, when you were talking about that stuff, I was like, how like how does it fit within your schedule? So do you have? Because I, I know that you you have your own practice. Mm-hmm. Are you is that practice specifically catered more towards like the performing arts population as well? Mostly, yeah, yeah. It's it's mostly that. When I was working for physio arts, it was you know mostly performing arts too, and then the schedule was dictated by you know the company because there were several of us, mm-hmm. there were multiple PTs, we also had multiple contracts with different shows, so you would typically, you know your your clinic hours would be dependent on which show you were doing that evening, so if you were doing a show that had an 8 p.m. Uh, opening and they only wanted you there for an hour. So you were there from, you know, from um, 6.30 to 7.30, let's say. So that means you were done at the clinic by six. So that was included in your hours, but it was set up in this in this weird way where your day, I mean, my days when I was working at PhysioArts, every single day was totally different because it depended on which show I was at or if I needed to go and and help with a rehearsal because rehearsals are during the day. So sometimes you would leave the clinic to be at a rehearsal studio for an hour and then you'd come back and then you'd be treating patients and then you'd leave again to go and do a show. So it could be all over the map. Because I own my own practice, it's much simpler now, which is nice. Um, So most of the time I'm treating treating my performers and then I I have another niche of, of clientele that has found me that are all like age 40 and above, like yoga people that really like mm-hmm. to see me. So I see them as well throughout the week. And then my evenings are, are with the show. Can you talk about how you started your own practice yeah. and how it's kind of grown from there? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's interesting. So with physio arts, um, it was, like I said, it was almost 20 years in business. And last summer, um, she, Jenny, Jen Green, the person who owned PhysioArts, had to close the business. And so all of us that worked there had to kind of find our own way. A lot of it was still guided. She didn't just close it down and we were all like abandoned. Um, not at all, actually. So um, most of us actually ended up working somewhere that was very similar. So I, I do some part-time work at another clinic where a lot of my other former coworkers also work at. So there's there's still something there. Um, but because PhysioArts had all of these Broadway contracts and she's one person now, she couldn't hold on to eight shows and still treat all these people. And so for the, the few of us there who already 
we're trying to build up our own practices and our own businesses. She's like, just pulled us aside and said, you know, do you want to keep your show? And because I'd been with Mean Girls the whole time, I mean, I'd been with all of her shows at that point, but Mean Girls was like my baby. She was like, do you, do you just want that? Like that can be your way of like stepping out and starting your business. And you already have like the biggest contract that PhysioRx has had. Like, do you want that? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and, and one of my friends that also worked there, she had the same thing with Beetlejuice. So she had been the main PT for Beetlejuice. And so it was like, Hey, do you want to start your practice out already with a contract under your name? And she went, yes, I do. Thank you very much. So some of us were able to step away and kind of, kind of take over that torch a little bit and, and try to expand it a little. Um, but a lot of it was just kind of thrust on me a little bit too. Um, I knew I wanted to do stuff in the health and wellness side, not so much PT business, but then I, I couldn't let, I couldn't let my, my show go to somebody else at that point. I was like, no, I, I have to do this. So I just, started up all the paperwork and went like, okay, it's mine. And, you know, a month later, my name was in the playbill and, and that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Now, do you do any rehearsal stuff with them as well? Or is it just, just the show, like show times at this point, because they've been on for a while, I'm not there for rehearsals. Mm. Um, but it's become more of a common practice in the Broadway community to have PTs come in during rehearsals. Um, so like when Mean Girls first started up, we would go in during their lunch breaks. Um, and so if there were little issues that happened during their rehearsal process while they were creating the show, yes, we were there for that, which was nice. Um, we did the same thing for a lot of the newer shows that, that we had, like Beetlejuice, we were there for them. For Head Over Heels, we were there. So that, that became a more common practice very recently. Before then, it was like you showed up when they moved into the theater. So you had no say in what they did. You had no say in in choreography. You had no opinion on things. You had never seen anything before. So you were seeing them when they were in previews which is the worst time for a performer because you're rehearsing all day and then you're going right into a show and then the next day you're changing it all again. And so you are constantly working and so there's no time to rehab. Being able to get in the rehearsal studio beforehand though, it was like we could actually catch some things beforehand. And on top of that, it was actually kind of nice with Mean Girls, there were a few things that as PTs, we were able to go, hey, this seems to be a problem. Is there a way that that can be somewhat messed with a little bit? We're not trying to tell you what to do, but like, is there something there? And able to kind of negotiate that. And there there were some specific things that were taken out of the show or totally changed because the choreographer and the director were like, no, that's not worth it. We're not hurting our people. If PTs are already complaining about it and we haven't even started anything, then nope. It's not worth it. So it, it's nice because we're actually getting to that prevention side now. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how everything comes back after all of this quarantine time, how PT will kind of come back into that. But that's that's uh, an interesting future at, at this point. I'm not sure what it will look like. I'm hoping we do more rehearsals in the future, though. Do you think that your dancers are doing a good job of staying in shape during this time? And 
you know, not being able to access anything? Or do you think it's going to be a struggle when they come back and the injury rate is going to be a lot higher? I think for some of them, the ones that I've been able to kind of keep tabs on a little bit, some of them are doing really, really well, and some of them aren't. And honestly, I feel like it's even hard to judge it right now because, I mean, how do you really prepare for for a time that you don't know when you're going to be able to get back or if the show's even going to be there when you get back? I mean, there's so many things that are up in the air. And for some of the performers, I've definitely told them, like, you don't have to be taking six classes a day. Like, maybe you should just be resting. That's okay, too. Like, you, the mental part is huge as well. Maybe it's not great to, like, just overwhelm yourself because you have the time. So I, I think it depends on the person. I know a few people have mentioned that they're running through their shows now. So they're actually going through their book and they're doing their choreo and they're singing their stuff. So there's little rehearsals here and there I'm, I'm hearing of, but um, I, honestly, I'm more concerned about people doing too much during the quarantine. And so when they get back, they've been doing all this like crazy weird stuff that didn't actually build anything progressively. They didn't, they weren't training. They were just, doing crazy stuff and so when they have to go back to doing something that requires a ton of cardio requires actual technique requires some consistency they're not going to be prepared because they just haven't been doing that now you 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 mentioned training and this is something that daniel and i have talked about on like previous podcasts what what does that look like like what do you what do you normally see training or cross training or um in the in the broadway community it depends on the performer. Um, I would say when they're when they're newbies, when they're brand new, they are like a very typical dancer where they don't cross train. They have no idea what that means. They're just taking every class they can at Broadway Dance Center all the time. <laughs> they're doing all the choreo. They're just they're doing it all, and that's kind of all they know. And then chances are they get hurt. So they're on my table and they get my lecture several times over usually. And they start to realize, oh, I need to be doing something else. And sometimes they take the advice of what that something else should be. And sometimes they venture into other things. Again, everyone has a different way. Um, But I, I find a lot of them, they end up getting injured when they're brand new, even if it's not a huge injury. And that's what leads them to go, oh, maybe I should do like some weight training. Maybe I should join a gym. Maybe I should get a trainer. (laughs) So they actually start to look into that stuff. Um, And there are a few specific Broadway trainers and programs now that it's it's really nice. And some of my like former patients go to them. And when I see the kind of periodization that they do and the progressive loading, I'm like, they know what they're doing. Thank you. Okay, this is great. I tried to tell you to do that the whole time, but I'm so happy you're doing it now. Yay. Um, it's, so you, you do see a little bit of that. Um, there's also a trend in the, the performing arts community, especially in the Broadway community. You have your old school dancers that all they want to do is dance and they don't want to cross train or when they do it's Pilates and they want it to look just like dance instead of kind of classical Pilates. that's built on strength and conditioning. And then you have the ones that totally throw out dance entirely. And even though their job is to dance, 
they go, oh, I never take class. That's bad for me. And I've heard dancers tell me, oh, yeah, I don't I don't take dance classes. It's bad for me. And I'm like, how? But how do you? So how do you dance? <laughs> I still don't get what they do. They go, oh, I do things that are similar. I'm like, okay, but you mean you don't take like a ballet bar every now and then? No. You don't take a musical theater jazz class? Nah. Dance is bad for me. Okay, but it's your job, so it might not be the best thing to be saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I've heard it literally come out of dancers' mouths, and I go, I don't even know how to argue with that. Um, okay, so let's let's try these things then. Um, it's it's interesting because you have very different styles of of thoughts there, and the ones that are more dancer dancer tend to go that that area of like I only do class all the time. The ones that might be more movers that got into dance tend to cross train a little bit better, but those are also the ones that are usually more likely to say, oh, I don't take dance classes because I'll get hurt. Um, it, it's a very interesting vibe, and it depends greatly on the show you are working on, for sure. Now, I know I know this is something that's pretty common in the, the dance world, is like when you get into the realm of like cross-training or, you know, weightlifting or anything like that, there's often a lot of hesitancy to do any sort of resistance training because of the, the fear of, getting bulky, changing lines, that type of thing. Um, is it similar in, in the Broadway world? It can be, um, but not, not the same as in the ballet world. It's mm-hmm. really not the same. The stigma is not nearly as, as, as big. Um, in fact, I would say, especially now, I'm seeing more, I'm actually seeing it more trend towards almost like over training a little bit where you're seeing performers be like, I really need to look ripped. And you're like, you don't have to look like that. Like you can look like a normal human too. Um, like there's roles for that. Uh, so it's, it's interesting because I'm seeing kind of the opposite of, of that a little bit of not like, Oh, I, I need to look athletic almost. I need to look that way. So I look more like that, that fit pro that I see online. Cause that's what, that's what I'm seeing other people do. Um, I see more of that now than anything else. But if it's someone that is has more of that ballerina background, it's hard to break that that idea of like, oh, but I can't do that because it's going to change the way my costume fits. Um, I, I hear less of the costume issue in Broadway than I ever did in ballet. In ballet, it was like, but I have to make sure I'm the same size. I think the performers understand they can stay the same size and still work out. Um, it, it's interesting because I am seeing that happen a little bit more often now um, versus that idea of like, well, I don't need to look like a man if I do this. I'm, I'm not hearing it as much from that side, which is really nice. <laughs> I don't have to argue with that as much now. Um, yeah, it's it's not quite as prevalent in the Broadway community, at least not the people I work with. Now you mentioned the talk that you you give people. Mm-hmm. Can we can we get that? Like, are you willing to give me and Danielle a talk for free? <laughs> uh, so usually the talk, um, and you've probably heard it before, Danielle, if you ever went back to one of my Instagram posts where I, I did a talk for Doctors for Dancers, and um, 
and kind of got on my soapbox in front of a, a large group of dancers. And uh, usually the soapbox goes um, that your job is to continue to use your body. And so you have to invest in your body or you won't have a job anymore. The way that you invest in your body is not by continually beating it down with your show. You have to be stronger than your show. You have to be better than your show. So if you can walk in and your show feels easy, your show feels just right, then you're doing what you need to be doing. But if you're constantly battling injuries, and if you always have to be on my table for the same thing over and over and over again, it's not your show, it's the way you are doing your show. Uh, so that usually ends up being what I go with, and then it gets more specific depending on what's going on with them. But a lot of it is you have to invest in what you have now because this isn't going to be the way this works. The performers that I know that are in their 40s and 50s that are still dancing and still look great, they got injured, they figured out they have to invest in themselves and clean it up and make sure they're doing everything they need to do. And they can still dance circles around some of the 20-year-olds. There's something to be said there. Um, I've had to occasionally tell people, maybe you need to sleep more instead of going out and having a party after every show. I, I get that you're, you made it, you did your Broadway debut, you have Broadway money now, but now is the time to put that into your nutrition. It's the time to put that into maybe your, your coaching and counseling, not into how many parties you can go to and into your outfits that would be a better use of your time. It sometimes does not land well when I say that, but that's okay. <laughs> I think that that's a really great talk. And I, I think that, you know, Jake and I treat a lot of younger dancers and I think they need to hear that too. You know, the 10 to 14 age when they don't see themselves ever getting hurt or sustaining injury that lasts, you know, more than a year, but mm -hmm. they need to know that same information. Right. Do you find that um, dancers struggle monetarily? You know, a lot of the girls that I know, they have to work two or three jobs in order to make it work in the professional dance world. Is that an issue on Broadway as well? It can be. Um, it depends on the contract and how steady it is. Most of the contracts, though, they once you're in it, like you're, you're doing okay. You just have to make sure that you're saving up because you never know how long it's going to last. Um, and that's usually where I see that happening. I feel like that's that's every new person to any job is you're like, oh my God, I'm getting a paycheck. And it, it, this feels great. And it, it, there's a reason that they do that. We all have done that of like, I finally got my big paycheck. I'm gonna go and blow it on something fun. Like we've all done it, it happens. It's just that a lot of us have jobs that are more consistent. And so you never know, you know, that could be, you could be on Broadway for a month um, and they close it, it could be something like this happens. And if you don't have any savings, that can be really, really tough. Um, and you, you have to have a backup somewhere in there, but it's, there is a struggle for sure of trying to figure out what's the best way to deal with it, especially if you don't have a contract yet, or if it's not a true Broadway contract. So if you're off Broadway, it's not the same. If you're doing regional stuff, it's not the same. You're still kind of gigging in between things. So it's not a consistent paycheck 
all the time. And it's not going to be the same caliber of paycheck each time you, you book something. That's really interesting to me because it, it reminds me a lot of, I guess what I saw in my brief time in the NFL, as far as like how, um, contracts work, you know, are you going to be on practice squad? Are you going to be, you know, suiting up and, and some of the techniques and stuff for like how, how they negotiated a lot of that. Um, and it's weird because in a, in a situation like that, where you're in a professional environment where you are relying on your body to do the things that you love, but also to make some sort of a living off of it. There's so much unpredictability and, um, just uncertainty with what, what could happen. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, the demands are different, right? Like they're not getting tackled or tackling people on stage unless it's choreographed and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so you, you know, you would think that from like a longevity standpoint, they, they may not have as much physical stuff as like an NFL athlete, but at the same time, these people are doing ridiculously crazy stuff like day in, day out for months, years at a time. Mm-hmm. And you know, you get that, I, I guess it's probably the same. I mean, in the sports world, they always talk about that league money, you know, like when you sign your contract or whatever it is, your signing bonus. It's interesting to see that there's some parallels with that in, in the kind of the performing arts world as well. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And it's, it's very interesting. I've been able to see kind of not on purpose. There have been a couple people that have, like, I've just seen their contracts and been like, oh, okay, so that's what Ensemble and this show makes. That's interesting. And then you look at the benefits and you're like, cool, that's great that you have a union. Awesome. I'm very happy that you have that because right now you are doing better than I am. You don't realize it. I might be your doctor, but trust me, you are taking home way more than I am. Good for you. Please save that. <laughs> so it's it's interesting because you you just never know when that's when that's gonna go. And like you were saying, like about you know you have to use your body and you have to really make sure that it's it's gonna take you day in and day out. Yes, it's not it's not the tackling, it's not being hit over and over and over again unless it's in the choreo. But I think people don't realize how hard it is to do the same show eight times a week. And if you had to do literally the same movements for about three hours, that includes going up and down stairs, changing of costumes, changing of shoes, changing of wigs, all of the vocals, all of the line changes, anything that goes in, not just the stuff that's actually on the sh- like on stage, it's a lot. Um, and that's a lot to do eight times a week, not including rehearsals. Or classes or training that you're doing outside, cardio, weights, Pilates, whatever it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of my favorite things to ask people when they do have a worker's compensation injury is I tend to ask them, so how many flights of stairs do you have to do per show? Because Broadway theaters are not large, they're just tall. So um, a lot of times if you're an ensemble, your dressing room might be six flights up. And there's only a few that have elevators. So you're going up six flights just when you walk in the building. And then you, you know, you put your stuff down. Maybe you have to go downstairs to do a rehearsal or to run something. Um, you have to get wigged, that kind of thing. So then you go all the way downstairs. Then you have to go back upstairs to complete all of your changing. Then you go back downstairs. You haven't even started the show yet. 
all of your changes tend to happen someplace off stage. They're not going to make you run up all six flights because the dressers won't do that. So they're going to put you somewhere else. So you might be running down into the bunker, which is a floor down between each costume change. And maybe your show has stairs on the stage, too. And so you're going up and down a few flights during the whole performance. You have to factor in how many flights you're doing during intermission and then at the end of the show. And when people start to go, oh, yeah, I'm doing, like, easily, you know, 18 flights per show. On a double show day, that's a lot of flights of stairs on top of everything else. And that's in the, you know, like, dance shoe wear and weird costumes and wigs. Like it's, and it's normally not done, like nicely where you can slow down you're you're probably running some of those so it it gets really really crazy what you hear people have to do backstage at a show and that's one of the things that when i when i first did some backstage coverage that was the thing that blew my mind because when you're in the audience right and this is more from like a, a pure dance perspective you're seeing like everyone smiling or or showing whatever emotion they they need to for the artistry of that piece but as soon as they come off the stage, it's just like, <gasps> like people are like dying, like they're about to pass out, you know, and then they're like waiting in three more beats. They're just like, <gasps> and they do like the thing with their hand and they're like perfect and smiling and they're like, you know, going back out. It's just it's crazy to see yeah. what happens backstage in a, in a performance. Yeah, or they're and, sprinting around the stage. That's my favorite is when you have to do that transition to the other side and everyone just backs up and you just book it. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of those in college. Whew. We yeah. we have we have a there's like a big hallway back behind our stage and there's like two doors on they prop them open and you'll just see girls like as soon as they come off just sprint. And they could I mean some of these people could probably rival like an NFL athlete with how quickly that they move. <laughs> but it's just and then you can you just hear like the feet like in the back just like all the way back and then it's it's crazy. And that's the thing is like for people that don't and I guess this will probably lead into a question for you. But for people that don't identify as like athletes that are in this realm or don't think of themselves as doing athletic activity like you, you look at that and someone that's just like, oh, they're just a dancer. They don't. It's like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Look at what they're doing from a physical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's 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 so crazy. I mean, one of the. I worked with a show with some people in a show that is not a dancey show. Um, it's not known for that. So people are like, well, they're not really doing choreography. They're doing like some stomping every now and then. And they move. They're movers. And there's one of the performers. She kept complaining of this weird shoulder thing. And I was like, so what are you doing in the show that involves your shoulder? And she could not think of what the choreography was. She was like, I'm not really doing anything with it. And then finally, because something happened backstage, she realized she had to, on an exit, she would exit, have to go down this little mini flight of stairs to go through the bunker, through the pass-through, because it's not a hall behind. They had to go underneath the stage and run through. And she would hold onto the railing and just swing her body really fast at the bottom to make the curve a little bit faster. Little bit faster. And so she was doing that every, every, single every single time. Where's her shoulder hurt? Where's her shoulder hurt? 
Um, so it was, it was very interesting to be like, well, yeah, that's why your shoulder's hurting. Cause you're taking that corner and you're whipping yourself around backstage. None of it was actually what she was doing on stage with her props or with her actors or anything else. It was just that crossover that was just insane for her shoulder of all things. It, that, that reminds me of, we, we, we had a case when I was doing the performing arts medicine program. Um, and they talked about, uh, a cellist that was having like like you know back pain Mm -hmm. and they're like going through and talking about like you know what's going on and it basically came down to the fact that every time this like tiny 5'2 woman had to go perform she had to climb like four sets of stairs with this massive cello because there was no elevator to where she needed to go and like the amount of times that she had to do that a week would just seem to be exacerbating her symptoms like she Mm -hmm. was fine on stage fine like other times Mm-hmm. But it just got to the point where, like, the non-performance pieces, like the the physical activity or the things that you do outside or, like, b- backstage were the, the things that were leading to that, like, discomfort or pain or injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just things you don't think about. Yeah. It doesn't have to be exactly what you're doing on stage. It can be anything. Now, like, given given some of that stuff that you see, have you made any sort of recommendations? Like, have you had to modify or... Have you given recommendations to modify like backstage stuff because of, of what you've seen? Oh yeah, I mean I totally have. Um, I know there, especially because Mean Girls has been the thing that I've worked with most closely. Early on in the show, I actually took people and was like, "Hey, so I want you, I want to go over how you move that set piece because the actors are also moving most of the set pieces in Mean Girls on Broadway. So it's like, okay, so you're complaining of this, so can we run it? And so then we'd, you know, go to management. Management's like, yes, we can run that because there's a lot of stuff there of being able to make sure it's done safely. And I've had them, you know, run how they're moving a set piece. If I can't get the rehearsal for it, um, then it's it, we're going to find what we can in, in the area that we're working in. And we're going to go over body mechanics and we're, you're going to push me across the floor. Or you're going to do this. Like we're going to do something that's similar. Um, I've made recommend, I've made recommendations for costume differences as well. Um, like sometimes after a little bit, someone's shoe is just rubbing down in the wrong way. And so if we can like, Hey, can, can we widen that a little bit? Can we put like the stretcher in it overnight so that we're not rubbing as much of that bunion or Hey, like, why don't we change out? you know, the shoelaces on this shoe so that it fits a little bit better? Or is there a way that we can reduce the number of things that you have to wear underneath the costume so that it's not as restrictive? Um, I've been able to do little things like that, but a lot of it's just kind of, let's see what works and then let's see if we can make it a little bit better. But I mean, I've, I've totally run costume changes with people. I've run set changes with people and I've, I've done so many lift calls with people, I've changed, I've gone through fight scenes with people, which is really fun when you don't have as many people and you're trying to do the, you know, partial parts of a fight scene to be like, okay, now pull our hair like this. It ends up being, <laughs> it, it's really crazy. interesting to make that like, okay, you have to do this with your hands. So it looks like they're pulling your hair and it, it works. It, you have to get so creative and weird about stuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've, the stuff that I've said backstage, it's some of it I'm like, I wish I could record this because it makes no sense out of context. It barely makes sense in context. So it's like, this is insane what we have to say. Um, 
especially if you're working with not just the performers, but like the technicians or the dressers, because some of the positions that dressers have to be in to do all of the different changes for their people can be really awkward. And um, I remember having to work with someone who was having knee issues, but she had to essentially for one number, this person wears a dress that ends up getting unraveled at one point. And so the best way to put the thing on her is to just like put it up on her where it would be like easy to unravel again. And so she would just kind of sit in this squat while the performer would go in a circle. That's how we figured out it was going to be easier on her instead of her trying to circle around the performer on her knees repetitively to get the dress on her. And it's it, it's weird stuff like that. You're like, okay, now you're going to pretend I'm the performer and I'm going to spin and you're going to hold your arms like this and let's make sure we put this underneath your knees. And it, yeah, there have been there've been definite recommendations of weird stuff that's like this is the only time you do this. This is not how you're going to lift something at the gym, but this is how you're going to move this set piece. <laughs> um yeah, it gets it gets really odd, but yeah, I've totally made those calls for stage work. Do you ever go and give talks to physical therapy students cuz I'm sure None of them could imagine that being a physical therapist means doing some of these things, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm wanting to. I'm trying to, actually. I'm, I'm trying to make a, a mentorship program right now that would be for kind of PT students and, and AT students and people that are, you know, trying to get into the profession in some way and break into dance medicine. So that's something that I'm trying to build right now in all of this free time that I have. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, it's, I don't get to do it right now, but I'm hoping to. It's so interesting because I know, like when you when you think about some of the more, uh, how do how do I frame this? Um, so, so this was a when I, I talked with someone before about, um, like I guess occupational demands, mm-hmm. right? And so when you think about it, it's almost like it's it's not quite the same. But when you if you were to work with like heavy industry or something like that. Mm -hmm. you would go in and do lots of assessments for ergonomics and like how to change things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's this like dance medicine backstage stuff is almost like this interesting mix of like crazy, weird ergonomic recommendations, (laughs) but then also using like general, like, you know, PT treatments and evaluations and stuff, but just having to go like on the fly and constantly change and adapt. And it just sounds really fun and cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're basically you're using all of that that first year PT knowledge of like basic anatomy, basic physiology, basic kinesiology, and then you're turning it on its head and making it really creative. Because <laughs> um, a lot of times it's just a matter of you just have to have to practice something and see if it works. And the one nice thing is performers are so willing to try. Um, so if you go, I think I might be able to find a way for this to make this better for you. They're like, okay, let's do it. And so all you have to do is explain that a little bit of like, I think if you, you know, if you get underneath this a little bit better, if we can get your hip to do this motion a little bit better, then your back won't be a problem. And then, I mean, I, I went over this with one of my performers who, who is a swing and he, he has this, he had a track that he's never had to do, but, um, he was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get scheduled for it because the main guy is going to be on vacation. They're going to put me in. I'm scared to death of this role because I have to do all of this crazy stuff. 
and I'm so much taller than he is. So it's easier for him to do that tumbling. And I just don't tumble. It's like, well, you got the job. So you do, you do have the ability or they would have never given you the contract. And so he had to break down some of the weird stuff he had to do hanging from a rope without being on the stage um, just to kind of go through the motions and get him to feel like, oh, I know what that muscle feels like. That's how I can do this without totally throwing it once I have to perform. Um, unfortunately, the quarantine happened, so he never got to perform it. But, you know, it, he got to that place where he's like, I feel like I could do this today and I would be fine. And so you you do have to just kind of find weird weird ways of making things work on on whoever is in front of you. It take, I feel like it just takes like your normal critical thinking skills to like 50 levels beyond. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes our job seem really easy, Jake. I think we have it really easy. I feel like that, that just makes like typical like everyday clinic stuff just feels so boring. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm not... Yeah, <laughs> to me it feels harder to do some of the the like standard traditional PT because I don't have like oh okay well you have this problem so these are the five exercises I would give you. I'm so used to just making up what needs to happen on that person right then and there that I have a harder time doing like a basic thing. <laughs> I I kind of look at it and I'm like but what do you really need to work on now to like get better now and it's like it's mm-hmm. a lot of you know, people don't know. They're like, well, my hip just hurts. So like anything that helps my hip <laughs> instead of being like, well, let's, let's break down this movement and let's make this better. And it, sometimes that's harder for me to be honest. It's almost like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to give like a bad analogy, but you know how I guess in like competitive sports, they'll talk about like playing down to your opponents, you mm-hmm. know, like once you've like gone to this like crazy realm of of spinning people around while you're like wrapping dresses on them and like hanging people from, from like pull up bars and ropes to like go over pieces of choreography. You like walk into like a clinic and it's just like, okay, there's some therabands at a table. What am I, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of is like that. <laughs> so you had kind of mentioned a little bit of doing like a, a mentorship thing, mm-hmm. but what, what kinds of things would you recommend to people that want to get into this realm? Uh, so for the for the most part, I tell people that want to do dance medicine or performing arts medicine to just go out and start doing it. It does not matter where you are or who you are. It does not matter what your training is. It doesn't matter if you have letters behind your name or not. It doesn't matter who trained you. It, you just have to start somewhere. And it, once you get started, you'll realize you know a lot more than you think you do. Um, there's a reason that you want to do it. It's because you do have some knowledge. You have enough knowledge. So even if you just address the stuff that you know and are fully aware of like, well, I don't know that yet, so I'm going to go and find someone who knows that, and that'll be a connection. Um, so much of it is just just start before you're ready and and you'll figure it out as you go. And that's probably true of everything in PT, not just performing arts. It's just performing arts feels so scary mm-hmm. and so clicky almost that it it really does follow the same rules as everything else. You just have to jump in before you know you're ready. I can uh, I can personally attest to that being a 
non-dancer and working in the dance world that as long as you try your best and like are yourself and you know do do what you can right for the the human being that's in front of you people mm-hmm. are usually pretty pretty receptive and welcoming mm-hmm. and a lot of times like they're just like whoa you know that dance word that's so cool and they feel like instantly more comfortable talking about that right right i mean i'm because i grew up more of a ballet dancer and i work with broadway performers I'm totally out of my realm if I work with a b-boy or a b-girl, if I work with a hip-hop performer. If if someone like that walks in, I'm like, uh-oh. But at the same time, they're a human being, and I just need to figure out what they need to work on, and I can learn from them. So it, it doesn't take long for me to realize, like, okay, so they're not they're not my style, but I can still totally figure out how to work with them. I've also never been a football player or a baseball player or a construction worker, but I can work with them. So why can't I work with someone that does a different dance style from what I know? It's all the same thing. It's, it's, they're human beings and you just have to figure out what that human being in front of you needs. Now, I feel like this is kind of going to broach into something that we had discussed a little bit before we actually started recording. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I know for people that have are not familiar with the dance world that it can probably be kind of scary, though, because, like, sometimes ballet is, is something or dance in general is something that people are like, mm, I don't I don't touch that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on, I guess, someone that is afraid to be willing to work with that human in front of them because of um, this, like, dance background that they have? Or the notion that like dance is like scary and hard to, to rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think it's scary and it's hard to do, then you're probably right. It's one of those like if you think you can or you think you can't, you're, it's true. Um, it's a matter of if you if you walk into something and think, oh, this is going to be really hard and I'm I'm not going to be able to do this, then you're already setting yourself up for that failure. Um, but if you walk in and go, I'm going to learn from this and I'm just going to do my best. And honestly, the biggest thing that I tell people is if you don't know, if you genuinely don't know, you're allowed to say that. I say that all the time. <laughs> I tell people, I have no idea why this is happening this way, but that might not be relevant. So let's just work with what we know. And it, you know, it's it becomes this thing of you don't have to know everything. You're still a human being too. So if, if you're not doing it because you're afraid of it, you're never going to learn how to do it either. It's just never going to happen. You have to. We're all scared. I, I sometimes I've gone backstage and I've worked on people that are like huge celebrities, and I see their name on the list, and I sit there and I'm like, oh my god this is going to be terrible because they're going to know. And I'm so much like the, uh, and I start to do that. And then I go, why would they know anything different? Like they're just human being. They signed up for PT because they needed it and I'm the PT. So I'm going to do what I can. And, and when I've done that, it's worked out really well. I've got a Broadway (laughs) contract with a really, really big celebrity simply because I kind of walked in and I was like, well, I'm just going to wing it. And that came across as a good thing, I guess. So, I mean, it, it worked out really well for me. And I I feel like the the more that you just kind of overcome the fear and work with it, the better off you'll be. No, the, the big one here, I've been, I've been waiting to ask you this question. 
you had mentioned talking about dispelling some what you called bro myths mm-hmm. when it came to dance. Lay them on me. Oh, no. <laughs> well, it's funny because actually one of the bro myths is that idea of um, it kind of makes some sense of a lot of dancers don't want to build up bulk. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want to look too strong. Um, and so some of those traditional therapists that maybe come from more of like a lifting background or a, a CSCS background, they walk in and they start throwing around terms that make sense on an athlete with an athlete's brain, but they're not changing their language for a dancer instead of, of thinking, Oh, well, I'm not changing what I'm doing for the dancer. They think, Oh, well, dancers don't want to get strong. Dancers don't want to help themselves. Dancers know everything or they think they know everything. Dancers don't want to listen to my opinion. You, I hear that all the time. And in fact, I, um, I tend to be a little outspoken when I when I meet some people, and I have opened my mouth and said things to people that I've immediately have been like, oh, I should not have said that to that person. And I was taking a course as a first year, yeah, like an entry level PT, and the person who was teaching the course was one of those bros, and the person who was hosting the course for him was another bro-like guy. And I heard them talking about how, oh yeah, dancers, they just don't know what they're doing. They don't want to be helped. They know everything. They don't want to, they don't actually want to lift weights. You know, they, they don't show up if I, you know, after a while they just drop off the schedule and little old me is sitting there and it's, I start saying stuff out loud before I could bite my tongue. Mm-hmm. And I went like, well, maybe you're just not good at treating them which is not the smartest thing to say to someone who's teaching you a course and give you a certificate at the end. I'm just saying that out loud right now, but I definitely said that. And both of the guys turned to me and were like, what? I'm like, well, maybe if all of your dancers are not showing up and not buying in and they don't want to do what you're doing, maybe you're not doing it right. Like I, at that time, I had only been a PT for, I mean, it was less than a year. I was like, and I I can do it. So at, at what point are you going to change the way you're doing it? And it became it became a very good conversation by that point. I, I calmed it down. In fact, one of them gave me his card afterward and was like, we should discuss this more. And I was like, okay, good. I didn't just totally blow it as a new you know, entry-level PT. Um, but it's that, that bro, a lot of those bro myths of they just don't want to or they're not committed. Um, yeah, a lot of it is just you have to make sure you're, you're talking to them on their level. Because if you're talking down it, this point of view of like, oh, I treat with real athletes. That's not going to fly. You would never say that to another kind of patient. Why would you say that to a dancer? Um, it just doesn't make sense. So uh, I'd say those are the big, the big bro myths of, of, you know, they don't want to lift. They don't want to get better. That's the one that I hear, which is very interesting. Um, that it's just not true. Yeah. That's my, one of my biggest goals in life is to not be that bro. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you are. I think and you're safe. That's yeah. That's that's why I have the, I have stuff like this. <laughs> this is my this is my tutu. So 
And so I think you're probably not one of those people. I mean, the, the two guys, they were they looked that way too. And I was like, well, I mean, they, they don't want what you're serving. That's all. That's that's all it is. <laughs> yeah, there's other restaurants in the food court. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, I had to bring some sort of like weird, like, you know, analogy that no one ever uses to make sure that I, I touched on food again for Danielle. No, I was actually thinking that same analogy. So you had it. <laughs> yeah. Again, I probably should have, I should have eaten, 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 eaten. I should have eaten something before this podcast. <laughs> You set a great example of what, you know, dance medicine can look like, and it looks really different than what it looks like for Jake and I, but I think it's amazing, mm-hmm. and I would not feel confident backstage after what you just said, but it would be a cool thing to get into one day. Maybe for ballet company, it would be a little bit more my speed, but... So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, I'm going to I'm gonna ask you one more question, Megan. Okay. All right. Now we, you talked a lot about like investing in yourself, like throughout this Mm -hmm. as a, as a performer to like invest in your body. What is one of the best or most, most worthwhile investments that you've ever made? It doesn't have to be related to like PT or it can be anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, to be honest, the, the best thing I ever spent money on was my one way ticket to New York. Um, if, if I hadn't done that, I, I would not have done any of the things that I've done. I wouldn't have met the people that I've met. So I, I think that was that was my most worthwhile investment was just that one-way ticket. And see, that's that's when you know you're committed because you didn't book a return. Yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> So I feel like I'm I, I connect a lot with dancers in that way too because you hear that like age old story of dancers just dropping everything and they're moving to New York City because they're gonna make it they're doing that one way ticket I was the same thing I was just doing it to be a physical therapist for them. All right, well I think that covers like most of the stuff that we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure that both uh, Danielle and my like frontal lobes have been like thoroughly melted from just like what it's like to actually work in a Broadway environment. So Megan, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show with us today. If anyone listening wants to contact you, what is the best way that they can do that? Uh, so my website is www.movewisehealth.com and my email is movewisehealth at gmail.com. Awesome. Do you have any, like, are you on the, the Instagrams or the social medias or anything like that? I am. I'm on the Instagrams. Um, my IG is DPT, I believe. I never remember my own tag. Yeah, DPT. So you should be able to uh-huh. find me on there. I try to post something every day, a little bit dance-related. Sometimes it's more about my dog, but that's okay, too. <laughs> I mean... I would, if I had a dog, I would totally do that too. I would. Actually, I don't know if you saw, I don't know if Danielle was just typing to me, but when I asked you that, what's your most worthwhile investment? She just immediately chatted me getting her dog. (laughs) 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 Totally throwing you under the bus for that one. That's amazing. (laughs) You know, with all this quarantine stuff, having a dog right now would be the best, you know? I know. I know. 
It's there's amazing. Actually, actually, all the rescues here, there have been like, there's been too many foster applications. They can't go through them fast enough to make sure like all it's, which is crazy to me. I love it. But, um, and we even thought about maybe fostering another one, but you know, Gizmo's a handful already. So we're good to go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for tuning in this week to all of our listeners where we spoke with Megan Wise about what it's like to be a PT in the Broadway world. If you guys have any questions or comments, concerns, complaints, or a topic that you'd like to discuss with us, shoot us an email at dbalpodcast at gmail.com. And then if you'd like to reach out to us, words, if you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can find us on Instagram at Danielle. What's your handle? You're the nice PT. Oh my gosh. It is Danielle Anise underscore DPT, but it does look like Danielle A nice underscore DPT. And then I am TMD underscore the movement docs because that was the OG podcast. Um, Thank you guys for, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And remember, don't break a leg.